Well, good morning. If you will grab your Bibles and open it to James chapter 1. This is our last week in James chapter 1. Um, if you grab a Bible that's in a basket, it's marked with a yellow post-it note for you. Um, a lot of times, I'll cover a whole chapter of Scripture in a, in a message, but we've been kind of going more slowly through James chapter 1 because there's so much in there. Um, and we're doing a series on the whole book of James for the summer. James is a letter. It's a letter written by James, who was the leader of the very first Christian church that met in Jerusalem. And he writes this letter to Christians who are scattered throughout the known world to teach them how to live rightly in a world filled with trouble, hardship, and temptation. That's really the theme of his book. From a biblical perspective, we talked about this last week, from a biblical perspective, freedom is the ability to live rightly. Not according to our desires, which can change, and often do change, and which sometimes are good for us and sometimes aren't so good for us. But freedom is the ability to live rightly according to our created design. Meaning God created you good. And with a design that is good for a good purpose. And when we are able and we're not hindered from living out rightly according to how he designed us, we will be happy and free. Now the Bible is also very clear that we live in a fallen world. And so we do face hardship and we do face temptation. We face lots of things that try to distract us and discourage us from living according to the good way that God created us to live. And so as we've gone through this series, we've talked about some difficult things. We talked about how we face hardship, why we face hardship, why God doesn't stop all the hardship that we face. We grappled with that. We talked about temptation and where it comes from and where it leads. And we believe what the Bible teaches. That God, he created this world good. He gave it to us. We broke it. We broke it. We broke our relationships with one another. We broke our relationship with God. We even broke the way the earth works. And we continue to do that. And the hardship we face is a result of that. But thankfully, God just doesn't abandon us. He doesn't abandon us, nor does he become some tyrant that takes away our ability to choose anything because we're going to mess everything up. Rather, he redeems our hardship. That's what he does. The difficult things that we, humanity, brings about... God will take them and work good out of them. And there's several ways that he does this. But one of the things, one of the ways he works through our hardship is to make us mature. To teach us compassion. To teach us wisdom. So we will know how to live rightly. We will want to live rightly. And so that we'll take up his offer of salvation. Because he offers to raise us to new life where we'll live in a new world where there is no hardship and we won't mess it up. Like we've messed up this one because he's used the experiences of this world to make us mature and complete so we don't lack no wisdom or good desire. Another way that he redeems our hardship is to reveal to us that we're in bondage. 
So often, we are in bondage to harmful ways of living, harmful ways of thinking, and we don't realize it because it just seems normal. It just seems so normal. But God will take the natural consequences of that wrongful way of living, that hardship, and use it to wake us up. So we'll want to become free. We're going to see that in the story we look at later on. And he promises that whenever we are tempted, whenever we're faced with temptation to live wrongly, he provides a way out for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 13 through 14 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to bear it. And when you are tempted, he will provide what? A way out. out. He will provide a way out so that we can endure the temptation. If we have faith, guys, if we believe what the... God's word actually says that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. That's what he claimed. That he's the prince of peace. That came to bring peace. That came to bring great joy. Remember the announcement at his birth. We bring you great tidings of great joy for all men. If we believe that, if we believe what God says in Jeremiah, that he knows the plan he has for us, that it's a good plan, a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, a plan to give us a hope in the future. If we believe those things, we will want to live rightly according to how he created us, according to what he reveals in his word. In James, he gives us a template of how to do that. Now, he talks in circles. So it's kind of hard to figure out his template. But if I write on this, can you guys see it over there? You can Okay. This is basically his template. First of all, he says to ask God for help. All right? Ask God for help. That's the first thing. And then he says, listen to God's word. Listen to what God actually says. Let's see if I can actually get all of those on there. Then he says, be slow to what? Yes, that's the next one. Speak. Be slow to speak. And then, slow to anger. Over and over again, he's going to say, he's not going to use the word obey. But that's what he means. He's going to say, do what God's word says. Don't just listen to it. Do what God's word says. And some of those things that we need to do what God's word says and obey, he points out over and over that again. He says, to get rid of filth. Get rid of moral filth. He says, to focus on helping others. And to value things of eternal nature. I'm just going to put value eternity, but I mean things of eternal nature, okay? Now, we're going to read James chapter 1, and I want you to listen for these things, okay? 
All right, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. And unstable in all they do. Now believers who are in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers a plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What he's saying here, those who are in humble circumstances, maybe they're poor, they're going through lots of hardship and trial. He doesn't mean take pride, like be haughty. Mm-hmm. God must love me because I'm going through hard things. No. He, he, when, take pride means to keep it before you. Keep focused on this. Okay? That your hardship, you're going to have reward in heaven. Okay? For the hard things that you persevere through here on earth. And those who are rich. Now, he's not saying... That um, you take pride in the fact that your riches are going to fade away. But you remember that. You keep focused on that. That you don't stay focused and put your security in your riches. But you continually remind yourself, these things are going away. They're not lasting. They're not lasting. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test... That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? And sin, when is full growth, gives birth to what? Yeah. yeah, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We broke all that down the last two weeks. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. 
Everyone should be slow to and slow to become angry because the human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How many of you have heard this before, this verse, or at least this principle? Yeah, and you've been taught, like, when other people are talking, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Good principle. The context of this, however, is not other people speaking to you. It's who? It's God. That's the context of this passage. That when God is convicting you of your desires that are leading to sin and leading to death, you are quick to listen to God. And you are slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Why do we become angry in those moments? (laughs) Yeah, because we don't like what God says. We try to justify our evil desires. We try to justify our sin, right? So when we're faced with temptation and trouble, we have to ask God, listen to him, and be slow to respond. And be slow to anger, be slow to justify ourselves before God. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness, that right living that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, listen to God's word, that is planted in you which can save your... You do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What does it say? Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. Why do you look at yourself in the mirror? To make you sure you look okay, like there's not some hair sticking out here, you got something stuck in your teeth, right? You got this crud in your eyes. That's why you look at yourself in the mirror. To make sure you look okay. And you see that, and then what happens if you like immediately go away and forget about it and you don't fix it? That's what he's saying you like. Anyone who listens to God's word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently in the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. Freedom. It gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, be slow to speak. Yep. Deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Right here. Focus on others. Get rid of the filth. I want to... um, That's the game plan that James gives us. And I want you to... um, See how these principles play out. And by the way, he's going to, as we go through the other chapters, which we'll go through quicker than we've gone through chapter one, but you're going to hear these things over and over again all through his book. 
Like this is chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 4, 5, and 2 are all there. He's going to keep going back to these things. But I want us to look at the story of Moses and Pharaoh. Moses and Pharaoh. How many are familiar with that story? All right. Um, And see how these principles play out for one person who followed them and found freedom and for one person who did the exact opposite and it led to their bondage and destruction. All right? So this is Exodus chapters 1 through 14. I encourage you to read them. I'm going to summarize them through this lens, okay? And listen for these things as I tell the story. So um, the Hebrew people were living in Egypt. The king of the Egyptians became afraid of them because they were so numerous. And he thought, man, they're going to like overtake us. So he enslaves the Hebrew people. And even though they're enslaved, they keep growing and multiplying. He makes their labor harder. They keep growing and multiplying. And he's like, man, this is out of control. And so he orders all of the baby boys killed, thrown into the Nile. And and one brave mother kind of obeys that order. She puts her baby in the Nile, but in a basket. And Pharaoh's daughter actually finds a basket, adopts that Hebrew baby boy, and Moses, who's a Hebrew, is actually raised a prince of Egypt. Moses becomes a man with all the luxury that Egypt provides, and he rejects it. He rejects it. He rejects becoming wealthy and powerful by oppressing others. And he flees from Egypt. God meets him in the desert because the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, are crying out. They're asking God for help. God gives Moses wisdom. He gives Moses a plan. Moses is scared to death of the plan. (laughs) He's absolutely terrified. He doubts. He makes excuses. But in the end, what does he do? He obeys it. He obeys it. And the plan is to go back and confront the next Pharaoh um, and tell him, you know, God says, let my people go. (laughs) And so Moses and his brother Aaron do that. And Pharaoh says... Yeah, and he says, no, I'm not going to let my slaves go. I don't know who you are. I don't know who your God is. I think you're just trying to be lazy. He gets very angry, and he actually orders that the Israelites, their um, labor be made worse. Before they had to make bricks, but they were given straw. Now he's like, you're going to have to find your own straw. You're going to have to harvest it. You're going to have to gather it, and you still have to make the same amount of bricks in the same amount of time. Well, the Hebrew people, this is impossible. And who do they turn on? Who do they get angry at? Moses. They're like, you said you were going to free us. You just made our lives ten times worse. And Moses has this huge crisis of faith. I mean, if you can imagine, it probably took every ounce of faith and courage he had to go to Pharaoh the first time, right? And now it turns out to be a disaster. What does Moses do? 
He cries out to God for help. God gives him another plan, and Moses obeys. He confronts Pharaoh again, this time with a sign of God's power. The Nile is turned into blood. Pharaoh, the Bible says, hardens his heart. He turns and walks back into his palace. He doesn't even take it to heart. Seven days later, God gives Moses more wisdom. Moses follows it exactly, comes back to Pharaoh and says, God is serious. Here's the sign of his power. And there's a plague of frogs. They didn't like the bloody river. They jumped out. They went everywhere. In bedrooms and pots and pans, everywhere the Egyptians looked, there were frogs. Pharaoh can't handle it. He calls Moses and says, pray to God for help and I'll let your people go. So Moses does. God kills the frogs. And Pharaoh says, what does Pharaoh do? He changes his mind. The Bible says he hardens his heart. He changes his mind. He says no. This cycle keeps repeating over and over again. Where Moses goes to God for wisdom. God gives him a plan. Moses obeys. Pharaoh hardens his heart. The next plague is gnats. Even Pharaoh's magicians are convinced. They tell him, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. The next one is flies. Pharaoh can't stand the flies. Again, asks Moses to pray to God. God gets rid of the flies. Pharaoh hardens his heart again. Says no. The next plague, livestock. God says through Moses, I'm going to make sure you know there's a difference between the Egyptians and the Hebrew people. Your livestock is going to be killed and yours won't. And Pharaoh sends people to investigate, finds that the Egyptian livestock died. None of the Hebrew livestock died. Bible says he hardened his heart. Then came a plague of boils. Now this one is interesting. The boils came on the Egyptians and their pets. And this time the Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The other times it says that Pharaoh did, but this time it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and so he said no. But if God hardens Pharaoh's heart so he doesn't listen to God and sins, how can James say God doesn't tempt us? That's, that's tricky, isn't it? We're gonna come back to that. The next plague, hail. Pharaoh's officials are listening to Moses. They believe. They bring their livestock and all their people in so they won't get caught in the hailstorm. Pharaoh, the Bible says, he hardens his heart. Okay, so we have five plagues where the Bible says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. The sixth plague, it says the Lord is hardening hardening his heart the seventh pharaoh is hardening his own heart again which is it you see god he was offering moses and pharaoh the same way out the same path out of bondage moses and his people the hebrew people were in bondage but they weren't the only ones Bondage doesn't just always look like poverty. Pharaoh was in bondage. He was afraid of the Israelites. 
He was afraid that they would overpower him. He was afraid that they, he would lose their skilled labor. He was addicted to the luxury and the wealth that their free forced labor gave him. He and his people were also in bondage. When you have to go out every day and order people to be beaten and killed, are you a happy person? No. God was giving not only the Hebrews a way out, but the Egyptians a way out. So they could live better. They could live free. God had even made it politically popular in Egypt. To let the slaves go. I mean, if if Pharaoh was thinking, well, there's no way I can let them go because all the Egyptians will hate me and they'll like, you know, assassinate me and kick me out of office and all that kind of thing. God made it politically popular in Egypt. Through the plagues, he turned. He convicted the Egyptians. They started, they changed their view of the Hebrew people. Even when they were finally let go, they gave them gifts. God gave Pharaoh every imaginable out. And still he refused to let them go and be free. And he refused to let himself be free. My friends, your path to freedom, it always requires you to let go and get rid of some moral filth that you think you need. For Pharaoh, he needed to let go of the moral filth of oppression. But he resisted God's way out. So when God gives you that way out, you have to realize it's a double-sided coin. It's a double-sided coin. God's going to give you an opportunity. A lot of times that opportunity is hardship. I mean, if you read the story, was Pharaoh going through a hard time? Yeah, he was going through a really hard time. Sometimes God's way out, the opportunity that he gives us to escape temptation, it includes hardship. Um, His path to freedom, whether that's a path of freedom from addiction or an abusive relationship or a toxic work environment, or it's freedom from our pride or our greed or freedom from our self-righteousness, that path often includes hardship. And when it comes to us, It is a double-sided coin. If we choose to take that path, it leads to our freedom. But if we resist it, it leads to what? Hardening our hearts. Every time God gives you a way out, it will either lead to you becoming free or it will lead to your heart being hardened. It's your choice what it leads to. Does that make sense? Pharaoh was using God's opportunity to be free to harden his heart. To become deaf to the wisdom of God in his life. In the story of Moses and Pharaoh, there's three more plagues. There's ten in all. There's a plague of locusts, a plague of darkness. um, And the, the last plague is a plague where the Egyptians' firstborn sons die which always sounds so harsh, and I always think, God, how could he have done that? But do you remember how the story started? What what did the Egyptians do to the Hebrew baby boys? They killed them. They killed all of them except one. 
the, the Egyptians reaped what they sowed. All right, let's go back to this. Do you see throughout this story, what is Moses is continually asking God for wisdom, right? God is speaking to him, telling him the most crazy things imaginable, right? <laughs> like, oh, go strike the water and it's going to turn to blood. Yeah, right. You know, this is not easy stuff to believe. How many of us would be tempted to think, oh, no, we couldn't have heard that right? But he listens and he obeys, right? What does Pharaoh do? He disobeys. He does the exact opposite. He refuses to listen. He refuses to obey. What about um, getting rid of moral filth? Who does that in the story? Moses, he left behind all of those luxuries. Not that luxury is wrong, but luxury bought on the back of slaves is wrong. He got rid of that. There are times throughout the story where he has to consecrate himself to God. The Israelites consecrate themselves to God before they are set free. Pharaoh, he won't let go of it. He absolutely won't let go of it. Who in the story is focused on helping others? That's an easy one. Moses, right? He's trying to save his people. Interestingly, Pharaoh, he's not even concerned about the welfare of his own people. They're suffering. He doesn't care. Not just the Hebrews, but the Egyptians are suffering. He doesn't care. Who in this story is slow to speak? Some of you just had a light bulb go off. Moses. Moses was slow to speak. If you read the story for yourself, he spoke with a faltering tongue. He preferred not to speak at all. And he any any time he spoke, he only said what God told him to. Pharaoh on the other hand is very rash. He's very quick to come back and he's very quick to respond with anger. And his anger leads to his downfall. Who in the story is double-minded? Pharaoh. How many times did he change his mind? Yeah. He is unstable in all his ways, wasn't he? Even after the plague of the firstborn son, finally he's like, okay, I can't take it. Go. And they go. And then he changes his mind again. And he's like, what have I done? We're getting rid of our labor force. And he chases after them in chariots. And God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites go through and he follows. You think that would be a sign? I don't know. I, you know, like. (laughs) But in his arrogance, he follows and the God closes the water and he and his army are drowned. It led to his death. Moses, he followed these steps and it led to his freedom and the freedom of his people. And again and again, we see Pharaoh doing the exact opposite and it led to the destruction of him and his people. Now, there are practical tools to help you practice each one of these. 
I'm not going to teach you all of them now. I'm just going to list them. Some of them we've already learned about. So ask God, what is the practical tool there? It's prayer. Have we learned anything about prayer? Oh, yeah. We have all of these beautiful paintings right outside the sanctuary doors of all these prayers that we've learned to pray. One of them being, let us desire what you desire, God, right? Yeah, help us see others as you do. The Lord's Prayer, all of these prayers. Prayer is not just speaking to God, though. Prayer is also listening to God. And we've begun to practice what's called spiritual direction. This is an old um, spiritual discipline where you read God's word, you let him speak first, and then you sit in silence. And listen to what God wants to say to you. We did that after our service a couple weeks ago. And some of you I got was getting emails and texts from different people about what God spoke to you in that time and how it just met you exactly where you're at. For some people you didn't hear anything, and that's okay. Not every time I humble myself before the Lord and just sit in silence do I have a great revelation. But it's worth it, because sometimes I do. And the more you practice that, the more you'll learn to hear from God. Listen to God's word. Okay, well, that's spiritual direction, too. It's also Bible study, right? We have to study the Bible to know what it says. We do that here. We have small groups that study the Bible. In October, we're going to be starting our series where we go through Genesis all the way through Revelation. And that's what our focus will be starting October for the next year. So you understand the whole story of the Bible, okay? Being slow to speak, that's a spiritual discipline of silence. Slow to anger. Okay, there's two things that I do here that really help. One is mapping lies and truth. I talked about that last week. I'm going to give you an example in a minute, okay? Mapping lies versus the truth. The other thing is evaluation of motives. I think I talked about this like a year ago, but I'll go through that with you again. Um, Where am I? Slow to anger. Obey. Accountability. How many of you have ever been a part of an accountability group or had an accountability partner? A few, yes. I have been in accountability groups that were good. I have been in accountability groups that just made me feel shame every week. Okay? As we go through this series on James, we're going to be learning some of these different practical tools. Accountability is one of them. And I will be teaching you how to do accountability in a healthy way that helps and not in a way that just makes people feel like they're constantly failing. All right. Get rid of filth. Accountability is going to help with that, but also confession, which we have just recently begun practicing in our church. Confessing. Um, Focusing on others. This is serving, generosity, valuing eternity, valuing things of eternal nature. Um, I think I, I said it a few weeks ago, but... I often feel like 
one of my main jobs to, up here is every week take our eyes, including my, uh, my own, from what we see here and raise them to up there. Because that's what we are to live for. Things of eternal nature, not just the passing things of this world. And we need to be continually reminded of that. So we're going to, we've learned some of these. We're going to be learning how to use these tools, what they are as we go through James. I'm going to end, this will be the last thing, okay, with mapping lies versus truth. So you get how to do this. Um, do this not only when you are tempted, but do this before you are tempted to prepare for temptation. When you map lies versus truth, you have to start with what your root desire is. That you are feeling over and over again. And you're battling it with. What is that root desire? In James chapter 1, and in our story of Moses and Pharaoh, that base desire is to escape hardship. Now, is that a bad desire? No, it's not. (laughs) It's not a bad desire to want to escape the hardship we face in this world. But that desire leads to lies and truth. So on this side, we'll talk about the lie. Okay. When we're wanting to escape hardship, which we almost always want to do, and sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we aren't, the first lie, let's see, is that I think we can escape hardship in this world. I think that's the first lie that we believe. The truth, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, is you will face hardship in this world. He says that. But we have a future hope, right? That's the truth. It's not that we're going to get rid of a hardship in this world, but we have a future hope of a world without the hardship to look forward to. Okay, this is, we can't escape. Another lie. When we want to escape hardship. Um, we can relieve it. We can relieve the hardship by... Fill in the blank, right? <laughs> by alcoholism, drunkenness. Um, using drugs that make us feel better, binge-watching Netflix. Um, I mean, the, the, the list goes on, right? Food sometimes, yes. Shopping. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to use the example of workaholism. Not that hard work is wrong. Hard work is not wrong. It's good. But sometimes... We put our security in it. That we can escape hardship if we just work really hard and earn enough and, you know, and protect ourselves by those things. And sometimes we also get addicted to it because of the success that we have when we work hard. It feels good. 
And we kind of get a little high from our success. So that's a lie. The next... All right. Over here on the truth side. According to God's truth, how do we relieve the stress of the hardship we face in this world? By turning to God? Yeah, what else? So we just learned that one, right? You ask God for help. That's one. Um, Being silent to listen. listen. James says, consider it pure joy, right? So we rejoice. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? What else do we? We give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. And when you do, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we are facing hardship, we give thanks, and God will guard our hearts and minds with peace. That's how we relieve that stress. All right, so those are the lies, those are the truth. We have to keep mapping them. Lies, James says lead to sin. If you believed you can relieve hardship by being a workaholic, what sin does that lead to? I'm hearing whispering, but I'm not. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency? Yes. Strained relationships, neglecting family. I wrote down pride. I think that encompasses self-sufficiency. What do, I'm sorry, you said something? Put nothing before the Lord? Yeah. It's, it's a form of idolatry, isn't it? Where we put our trust in our ability to earn and accomplish. And we put that above the Lord. That's idolatry. Yeah. Okay. I'll stay on this side. So that's the sin. What is the death that it leads to? What is the destruction? (laughs) Yes. Okay. There's physical health. Your health can deteriorate. I'll just... Make a down arrow. How's that? Um, It can lead to a broken family, right? Divorce. um, Rebellious children who are trying to get the attention of their parent. Pride goes before the fall. Eventually, it will fail us. The security, right? The money. All right. Over here, our truth is we're not going to escape hardship, but we have a future hope to look forward to. That when we face hardship, we're asking God for help. We're rejoicing in the salvation he gives us. We're giving thanks for all the good things that he gives us. What is that holy action, the righteous action, those kinds of thoughts, that kind of truth leads to? 
Again, I'm hearing and not hearing. Um, Joey, what did you say? Believing in faith. Okay, it increases your faith. Um, joy. When you actually rejoice, you become joy. You don't rejoice because you feel joy. You rejoice to feel joy. Peace. Um, how about contentment? Right? I didn't get that whole word. Contentment. Oh, I did. Okay. Um, it, it, instead of envying what others have, we become content with what we have and the circumstances that we have. Right? Feeling blessed. Feeling blessed. All of these things. And these are the fruits of the Spirit. The blessing that it produces in our life. And not only that, but the blessing, then it becomes an eternal reward for us in heaven as well. Okay, do you see what I I mean by mapping out the lies and the truth? So you have to know what is the desire that you struggle out with the most? What What are the lies you're believing about it? And where do those lies lead to? And then what is the truth and what is the, the truth leads to? So that when those tempting thoughts come into your head, you're prepared. Like Jesus was prepared when he was tempted. And he knew God's truth and could respond. All right? Um, I'm going to end in prayer. I'm going to end by asking God to show us um, what desire we're struggling with. Sometimes we we feel the surface symptoms and it's hard to identify what the actual root is. And then teach us how, what lies we're believing and what his truth is. All right? Now pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not abandon us in the broken world we created. I also thank you that you're, you're not a tyrant that just says these people can't handle anything and you just take away our ability to choose. I don't enjoy hardship, God. But I'm very thankful that you can use whatever it is for our good. And God, I pray you will increase our faith that no matter what we're facing, even if we've trusted you like Moses when he went to Pharaoh the first time and it didn't work out, when we face our giants and it doesn't work out, that we will not give up, that we will not lose hope in your truth of your word, but we'll keep coming back to you. God, help us to hear your wisdom. Open our ears when you provide us an opportunity, a way out. God, help us have the faith and courage to take it and not harden our hearts, not become double-minded and unstable. God, I just want to pray that you speak to us. 
some of us know right away what it is we're battling. Some of us have deceived ourselves. Or we think we're battling one thing, but really it's another. There's a deeper issue that needs to be dealt with. God, show us the lies that we believed. Think of the Israelites and the lie they believed that their lives couldn't get any better than being slaves. Show us your truth, God. Show us your truth of the way out. God, I pray you'll make these clear to us. I pray that we'll be diligent and map it out. So that when we face these things, it is crystal clear in our minds what is happening. And what is the path that leads to destruction and what is the path that leads to life? God, we pray you give us your desire. That you would transform our desires to be your desires. And that you will give us your wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.